So uh, welcome to Art of Product, Justin Jackson. Hey, thanks. Good to be here. How's it going? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. I, I want to say, yeah, things are great, but things are good. Things are, you know, it feels like there's a lot, it's a lot of work to build something, especially on the side. So I would also say I feel tired and feel like it's going slow and all that, all that stuff. Totally. Yeah, I definitely want to dig into that. One of my explicit questions for you is like, how's your brain? What's your mental state like? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I asked Derek this too, but yeah, I think we uh, yeah. can. We'll all commiserate perhaps. Yeah. Actually, why don't we start with updates? We'll kind of talk about what's going on and then we're going to filter in the details. And you, you'll, if you don't know Justin, you'll just have to sort of figure it out on the fly from context clues. Yeah, I like that. All right, cool. Derek, do you want to start with some updates of what's going on? Sure. Yeah. So it's been a fun week in the land of level. I decided sort of off the cuff to launch a new landing page. And I've been working on it for a little while, doing some copywriting, trying to craft something impactful about kind of the level value proposition. I talked about this a little bit last time, but wanted to experiment with uh, leveraging scarcity as a means for attracting new signups onto the pre-launch list. Basically, I had a, a, a short long form landing page up on level.app. And at the bottom, the call to action was reserve your handle. Uh, Basically, like we're still under development, but you can claim your slice of real estate for the future level.app slash your username of choice and submit this form to reserve it so no one else can have it. That worked exceedingly well. As of right now, there's 2300 ish people who have filled out that form. And awesome. Yeah. So no way. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have a sense of how many of those people were new versus already on your list? You know that I haven't dug into that just yet. Um, I need to do like a data dump out of out of Drip and Product Hunt and kind of like analyze the lists. And there were quite a few people who were like using the plus technique to like reserve several handles. Like they got their personal one and then they, they snagged their company one too. I think it wasn't clear to a lot of people whether they were whether I'm going to commingle the namespace for these sort of like what GitHub does where it's all at the top level, you know. I got a few questions about that. And I basically said, I don't know yet. Like the intention was for this to be your personal identity, but I may end up putting like companies at that same namespace level too. So I got to say, that's just savvy AF. I just thought that that was (laughs) such a smart move. And then like seeing it work so well, I was like, yeah, that was just, just well done. Props on that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, feel free to like rip it off. Totally. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, I don't worry. (laughs) I certainly was not the first person to do it. So I'm sure, Sure. I'm sure I like took inspiration from someone else out there. (laughs) I also just like this landing page that I like that. It's kind of a long form letter. It's almost all words. It has a really strong headline. Remember that time you forgot to open Slack. There's just a lot to like about this. And then, you know, people get to the bottom and it's like, okay, reserve your handle. There's, Yeah, this is great. Thank you. This landing page came together pretty quickly. And I spent a few weeks kind of just occasionally jumping back over to it and writing some copy and then scrapping it. And there was just like one writing period where I was like, "Hmm, what if I took this angle and I like wrote that headline and then everything else just sort of flowed. I just sort of started to tell a story. And so it was like weeks of time here and there spent on it, but it really came together in, in an hour or two. And so it's kind of fun. Yeah. I think what you should have done is you should have detected when people are using that plus and then you should have charged them. So, hey, it looks like you're trying to reserve another namespace. Yeah. Well, that's going to be 500 bucks <laughs> to reserve another namespace if you want to do that. Yeah. Derek, I'm, I'm consistently kind of annoyed at how good you are at design despite being a really good developer. Uh, I find it kind of offensive. But also, it makes me like jealous that you can ship these things yourself. Like right now, I'm actually, I'm working with Steve Sugar, who is an awesome designer, and I love the landing page stuff he's doing for us. But it just, it just, it just takes longer, right? And it takes coordination and we're paying him. This idea I keep tossing around in my head is like, should I maybe for the long term be investing in my own design slash CSS skills? And it kind of feels like the answer is probably not. But at the same time, I just, I see how you're able to execute on this. And I'm like, damn, I wish we could do that too. Yeah. I don't know. Justin, do you have thoughts on that? Well, how how did you learn that? I sort of have always just had an interest in design. And so I've been doing it for a while and probably did it pretty poorly early on. But I think it's just like, I've always wanted to sort of span the the whole spectrum of the process. And I think I have a little bit of, I don't know how much of it, like you sort of just have a knack for it and how much is 
deliberate skill development because I don't I I didn't get any kind of like formal design education or anything like that. I just sort of um I don't know, sort of powered through and have done enough of it where I feel like I can be pretty proficient at it. I'm going to say something that might upset some people. <laughs> to me, it seems like design is easier to learn, at least easier to learn the fundamentals than other things. And if you are already interested in having good taste. So Ben, for example, you've got good taste in lots of other things like music and, you know, you, you have a high bar for quality. I think your personality would lend itself well to design because there's just, there's a lot of rules around it. There's a lot of what makes good design. And if you follow those things, you can learn those fundamentals and basically be good at design. Design feels more accessible for me than programming does. Uh, I ask myself this question all the time. Should I, should I learn more programming? Should I learn more design? Should I learn? And design is one where I'm like, ah, you know, I could read this book or read this blog post and apply a few things and massively improve, you know, my design. Whereas programming, it's just like, I can't get into that headspace. As soon as you say variables and classes and all that stuff, I'm just like, ah, I just, it's just a lot harder for me to, to get into it. It seems like design is something you could work on every day. Like, okay, what am I going to, let me just look at typefaces. Like, how, how can I get better at typefaces? And then, you know, apply something like that. Steve has mentioned this before when I've, when I've talked to him and been like, well, I'm not really a designer. He's like, actually, a lot of us are designers because in one sense, we all sort of have opinions about what we think looks nice and what's usable and what feels nice. And I think the, the hard part is like being able to connect the two where, you know, you look at something, you know, whether it's well designed or not, but then being able to reproduce it, uh, you sort of have to, you have to acquire those skills. And it's different than just knowing whether something is well designed, but knowing knowing is is half the battle and then and then bridging that gap and so i remember when i would try to design stuff you know years ago it would just take a lo really long time and it was pretty agonizing because i knew what i was putting out didn't look how i wanted it to look but i didn't know what next steps to take to get it to feel right and so it was a lot of like trial and error and experimentation and i would end up with something but it would take way longer than it would take a professional designer who could probably knock it out in a day and then I think it's just through deliberate practice and doing it over and over again, you sort of pick up your little tool belt of design patterns that you like to reach for and it gradually gets easier. Yeah. I think the other thing is if you enjoy writing, um, so for design on the web, so much of the design follows the words. We just went through, we're, we're building our official web page for Transistor. We started with some mockups that a designer had made us a long time ago. They look right. But I wish I had started with the words because now I'm I'm wrestling this thing and feeling like, ah, like I'm actually really jealous of what you have with level because that is exactly kind of what I would like. That's the form I can see myself pouring into. But so much, especially templated design, it's like, ah, like this is, there's all these little pockets I've got to, it's like filling a cookie tray and, you know, you got to fill everything this way. And it's like, ah, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to be able to start with words. So if you're already a good writer and you can put the, the writing on the page and then you can say, okay, how can I enhance this writing? And it's like, okay, well, I can add padding. Oh, wow. That looks a lot better. I can add more line height. Oh, that feels better. I can increase the typeface size. I can, you know, do all these things and it just feels better and better and better. Whereas, uh, Maybe some folks think that design is starting with a blank sheet in Sketch and then, you know, building something. And uh, I've never been very good at that. It feels like it's an achievable skill set to me. I think my taste is pretty decent, so that's kind of already there. And I, I think like most web things or most modern things, it's never been easier to learn these skills. There are more courses for like picking up design skills or, and like learning the the hairiness uh, that is CSS, all that stuff is, is more common than ever. So it's like, okay, this is probably not a huge leap to get there, but there are so many things that I could focus on right now. And is that the, the highest leverage thing? Yeah, it's annoying right now, but like a year from now, will the 100 hours poured into this make sense? Or will it be kind of like, now I'm not doing any of this? So yeah. it's tough to say. Yeah, it is hard. Again, I'll just say, I think of all the things, it's the one elephant you can eat a bite at a time 
day after day. I mean, maybe there's programmers out there that are like, well, Justin, you could do that too. But programming, it just, it, it feels infinitely more complex to me than the principles of design, which haven't changed in a long time. They're, it's basically the same stuff we've been talking about for hundreds of years. Interesting. So. Yeah. Right. Because brains are kind of basically shaped the same, but telling a computer what to do is constantly changing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So Derek, you, I, I saw you get a lot of play on your uh, share this tweet thing after people signed up. Yeah, that, that worked well. And I think it kind of goes back to that, that lesson we picked up from microconf, which is just like, just ask people for a favor in a genuine way. And so that's what I did when they submitted the form. I just swapped it out with like a, a little emoji, like, sweet, we saved your handle for you. If you could do us a big favor, it would help out a lot if you just, you know, tweet this out to your friends. Here's a, here's a tweet button for you. I haven't gone through and counted, but it was quite a few. Like I was sort of checking in on that uh, throughout the day and there was a steady stream of them um, getting spread around. Can I tell you what I think is the missing, uh, the essential piece of that? What? So there's a lot of folks that do stuff like that. There's a thunderclap or whatever. This is why I did it is because I saw other people I knew and respected doing it. And I had a relationship with you. And so I think outside of that context, those kinds of things are much more difficult because if, if you're just some random faceless app and you're asking me to tweet something to my audience just because I signed up, I'm not going to do it. There's a, an emotional job there, which is, I like Derek. I want to let Derek know that I'm supporting him. That's a huge one, I think. Also, you know, other folks I like are doing it. So there's this kind of pack. It's, this is acceptable within my, you know, my group. Whereas if, if I like did a random thunderclap for a random app, people would be like, Justin, what are you doing? Like, this is cheesy or, you know, whatever. So I think that's the missing piece. That's not like a tactic people can just take off the shelf and apply. You've really got to invest in relationships and your profile and all those other things beforehand. So you got to earn the right to ask before you ask. I think that's a great that's a great point. And I think it helps too that like there's the people who were sort of amplifying the message were in our relatively tight knit community of founders, developers, designers. It sort of did help that I think others others saw it and that sort of like led to others then feeling more uh, likely to click the button. Do you recall, did you see the copy and was there anything that you would have changed on the the ask? I can pull up what the actual verbiage is, but uh. I I changed the tweet uh, just because I didn't want to have the same thing as everyone else. Again, sometimes I see those thunderclaps. I'm like, ah, everybody is tweeting this stupid thing. Whereas this was like, oh, another person signed up for level for Derek's thing. That's cool. Yeah, to me, it was well executed. That point is something that we've actually come to a couple times on this podcast, where the, the best way to make a thing that works is to spend a few years building relationships and a reputation and an audience, and then try to do a thing. And it turns out it's going to be a lot easier than if you hadn't. And there's different ways to do that. I mean, and, and there, actually, there is other ways to do this. Like Ruben Gamez does not care at all about building an audience or a profile or anything. To a certain extent, Ian Landsman is like this. And, you know, they just want to build the product and then find a chance, you know, SEO or something else. It is one way to stand out is... Hey, this is Derek. You might remember me from the conference. You might remember me from Drip. You might remember me from Twitter. And uh, now I'm doing something new. Do you want to share this? And it's just so personal. Nate Cotney, when he had Draft, well, he still has Draft, I think. Uh, he did this so well. He had uh, a page with him and his dog on it and just saying, hey, this is me, Derek. And I'm just a guy building software and I like to write, I like to program, here's my dog. And that personal approach really stands out on the internet where, you know, a lot of websites just look like faceless brands. So I think there's multiple ways to do it. And this is one good way yeah. to do it. The level of transparency that I've chosen to use with this has made the process so much more fun than it would be if I were just trying to like, you know, yeah, I could be going the more anonymous route, hiring a 
someone to write content and produce blog articles, try to build up SEO, try to do, you know, paid ads and just get at different channels that way. But like getting that real time feedback from actual humans who are excited about it and and feel like they're on board with the journey has been it's been a lot of what keeps me going on the day to day, you know, hmm. I'm also pretty convinced that people like buying from people they like. Yeah. Like, I think you will win customers who might have chosen other things just because like, well, let's use Derek's thing. Yeah, exactly. I keep balancing this in my head because I know there's other approaches. And I think this is why it's important to identify what you want. What do you want? Uh, What do you value? What do you like? And I'm exactly like you, Ben. I like buying from people I like. I've purchased every single thing Jason Fried has ever made, I think. Like And it's just because I liked his writing from the beginning. I could identify with him. His next book that comes out, I'm going to buy it. Just because I I don't even need to read the reviews. I just like him. I like his writing. I'm done, right? Uh, But, you know, other people might not buy that way. They might not appreciate that. They might not value that. But that's, that's the way I buy. And those are like one of my values is buying from people I know, building relationships. Although I also think... That there is just humans in general, and maybe this is what you're getting to, Ben. Humans in general respond to people that know them or uh, have some sort of connection with them. I think there's something to that as well. If, if you can be personal with folks and, you know, you can say, like Derek asking, can you share this thing, is almost just a continuation of a conversation at MicroConf. Like, we, we were talking about where to go for lunch, and then... A week later, he reaches out on his website and says, hey, can you share this thing? It feels like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Jerry. Yeah, I think there's something to that, too. It's also one of those things that you just can't reproduce on the fly or like buy. You have to build it the slow way authentically. And and that makes it a competitive advantage, effectively. Slack will never have that feeling for me that helping out my buddy Derek will have ever. So it's like no matter how big their budget or whatever is, it's just you can't you can't compete with that. Yeah. I've only built really small things. So I've never had to scale beyond that initial group. Do you think eventually you just, you can't do that anymore? Or is it a scalable competitive advantage? Well, I feel like Basecamp is one example of, I think they still feel very connected to their core audience. And a lot of what their marketing is, they don't, they they say this, they don't do a lot of marketing deliberately, and they don't care about SEO, and they don't care about a lot of the things that traditional marketers care about but they their biggest form i think is is like writing medium posts and tweeting and being just in the community in so many ways they're such an anomaly and so i don't know like if they're just if they've just really mastered their craft or if it's really like or if there's something else special about their you know maybe it's them being early them being so infused in the in the you know mind share of of our community. But yeah, I, I look to them for inspiration on many fronts. And that's certainly one of them. I think it's a question of degree. There's a limit to the number of people that you can have dinner with, or like spend a weekend with. But I, I do routinely get people emailing me or tweeting at me who, who do seem to feel a personal connection, even though like it's been basically entirely one way. But they're like, I've listened to Art of Product. And then before that giant robots, and I've like followed a lot of your work over the years and it's it's pretty clear to me that they feel at least some sort of connection there and it's not quite the same as if you know we had hung out together but i think it's actually fairly scalable at least at a a reasonable level folks probably feel like they know seth godin like they feel like oh i've been reading his stuff forever and i feel like i have a connection with him or i i just wonder how scalable it is because i don't know i like eventually That might not be a strategy. And also, we don't really know Basecamp's numbers. We don't know, like, maybe 25% or 10% of their customers know who Jason Fried is. But maybe the rest of them have no idea. And they're just like, this is just a great product. It was recommended to me by a friend. So, yeah, it's hard to tell what's going on for real. Yep. Well, shall we continue with updates? (laughs) We shall. It's a fun little digression, though. Let's let's not shy away from those. I thought that was good. Yeah. Got to stay on board. Yeah. Uh, I can go next, I guess, unless you have anything else, Derek. No, go for it. All right. Um, So it's been a really good week. I actually have uh, pre-sold $700 worth of uh, tuple accounts. 
And I have verbal yeses for another 500 on top of that that have not come in, but I, I suspect will. Wow. So how, how did yeah. you get verbal yeses from 500 people? No, no, dollars. Oh, $500. $500. I was like, another 500 I'm like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're that would be it. the worst email inbox of all time. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, so you've got $500 of, can, like people have said, I'm going to spend, you've, it's coming. I've billed $700 with Stripe already. That's, we have that cash. And then $500 more have been promised to me via email. Oh, cool. Yeah. And how did you do that? How did you get that? those pre-orders um so i have basically been keeping a uh, notes.app note on my phone as i talked to people about this uh, a lot of it was at microconf people had heard the podcast and they were like hey i heard that thing you're making and when someone would be like hey i'm like really interested i'd say well we are going to be at one point running an alpha and it's going to cost some money but uh, if you're interested if they seem like a good fit then i would take down their email and so i've just been working my way down that list and saying hey it's good to see you remember that thing it's happening do you want to get in on this? Wow. Yeah. That's the kind of the the Jason Cohen WP engine approach of asking for a check before you build it. Yep, totally. Yeah, I, this is it's 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 just sort of like the next step for me for validation where it's like, yeah, everyone says they're excited, but can I actually get any dollars? And so I've just been saying, "Hey, like we're building this thing. We're going to start alpha soon. I can't tell you when it's going to we're going to have a thing in your hands, but like we are building it right now. We're slinging code. We're looking for a handful of people about 20 people that I'm probably going to cap at, at that number. We're looking for people that would give good feedback and use the product. Basically, to get in, I'm asking people to buy uh, an annual plan, effectively, saying like, we're going to give you access through the whole alpha plus a year after uh, at a discount over what we're expecting our monthly rate to be. Uh, so what do you think? Very uh, nice. So uh, qu- question, question. How many people did you ask and did you get... What was your ratio of no's to yeses? Um. Uh, really good. So, so far, I have asked uh, t- 12 people. I got uh, one straight up no. And he said, his no was like, that's actually a reasonable price. I just can't afford it. Um, and so I was like, fine. Then I have one, two, three, four, four, four paid already, two verbal yeses. And then I have four that are out that I haven't heard back from. That's so. awesome. You don't even have a website for this yet, do you? Nope. So you're just like, you're just going into Stripe and just like creating a thing and then... Yeah. So they have a thing now, which is great, which is like hosted uh, invoices. Okay. So I can create an invoice and send it to somebody via email and they go to like a Stripe, a page on Stripe's site and just fill in their thing. Wow. Where they can even accept ACH, which is really cool. It's like a you cool don't even need a landing it. page anymore. You just need a spreadsheet with a bunch of people's names on it. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and a few years of building relationships with people of, yeah. Yeah, of the internet. <laughs> yeah. um, but one thing I have been doing is, uh, so we have a landing page mock-up. So I've been attaching a screenshot of that to the email and saying, just so you can see like what we're thinking and you know, oh, what yeah. we're planning on making. That's I think cool. that probably helps. Yeah. It'd, it'd be cool if the Stripe app had this built in because then... Maybe they do, but then you could have been at the conference and they could have said, yeah, I want to do that. You can go, oh, hey, do you want to pay for it right now? And then you could have just like done the invoice on the app or whatever, uh, because then it would be immediate. It'd be like, you know, like... Do it's you, even harder to say no to that in person it, you, too, I it's bet. Hard, it's harder to say no, but then you would instantly get like, you know, their reaction. You'd get, if they had more questions, it feels like if I'm in person and I can't sell you on my thing, then... How how am I ever going to do that on the internet? Like, you're right there. You know, I've had people come up to me at MicroConf and go, so tell me, why should I get marketing for developers? And I'm like, Ugh, like, uh, uh, you know, and it's hard doing that in person. But if you can do it in person and nail it, then, man, you can nail it anywhere. So Stripe, if you're listening, add that to your app. <laughs> this is how people are using Stripe invoicing. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about that. And like getting yes from people is very satisfying where it's like, okay, it's not just like a, yeah, I'm interested. It's like a, yeah, I, I'm paying. I'm, I want to come on to the journey. My, my thoughts now are one thing I want to make sure we have in our alpha is one or two teams of people, because I think that's actually probably going to be our ideal customer. It's not like the solo person, but like the three to 10 developer type thing where like a lead developer or a VP of engineering or something signs up for the product. 
So I'm looking for those folks as well. That's kind of like next on my list. It's like, okay, it's, it seems that I'm selling individual people right now. Is it a totally different world when I move to the team? I should know that. And so I'm, I'm, I have some, I'm targeting some people. Right. Cause the ones that are going to pay you the most money or even be like, yeah, probably the core of your paying customers are going to be companies where there's pair programming happening all the time remotely. Yep. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So probably remote first companies or like remote exclusively companies you know, of some size where it's like, yeah, you know, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars are not a huge, huge deal for us versus a solo freelancer who maybe pairs as part of his business or her business, uh, just different customers. And so I want to make sure I can actually sell to the different kinds of people. So, oh, by the way, if you're hearing this and you're like, wow, that's totally me and I'm interested, uh, hit me up for sure. But we're, we are, we're going to fill up. So I, I eventually will stop and say like, that's enough. Cause I don't want, we don't want to be like bombarded with feedback. So uh, I will probably be shutting this down pretty soon. So if you are interested, don't wait. Scarcity. Scarcity. Oh, also, as, if, as an alpha customer, you get to reserve your username. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I threw out was, uh, or a thing that I'm thinking about is like some sort of like permanent UI flair for alpha people, which is just like a, you get a cool little emoji or something that, or your, a gold-plated username or something just to say like you were part of the core group. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. We'll probably uh, immortalize them on the website somewhere too. Oh, that's a cool idea. Like giving credit to the initial folks. Totally. Yeah, that would be really cool. So yeah, other than that, we are building away. We have uh, screen sharing working, which is cool. And keyboard is like kind of getting there, like remote control keyboard. So uh, yeah. And are you using WebRTC to start? Yes. So the plan right now is basically like use off the shelf, ship as fast as possible options. So like right now, that is um, Electron, the existing WebRTC stuff that's built into Chromium. And like, is this going to be the best in class uh, right away? No, it's not. But like, we have to ship something. And like, we have to, this is like sort of the next step in validation where it's like, okay, people are paying for us. When we give them this thing, are the things that we think are not ideal about it, the same things that everyone else thinks is not ideal? We could go spend hundreds of hours investing in like the codec development or making certain things fast but it might turn out that they're fast enough and no one says this thing is too laggy or too slow or whatever and it turns out everyone hates this other thing so we're basically optimizing right now for like get things in people's hands quickly and like keep the validation game going and the feedback thing going yeah can i can i ask you a question ben always (laughs) so i i go to twitter and there's nothing about tuple on on rook I go to benornstein.com. There's nothing about tuple. If I go to your media tweets, there's no screenshots that I can see, at least not in the first little bit. Is that a is that a a purposeful decision? Like you're purposefully not building in public or you're purposefully not sharing too much? I um it's it's sort of a failure, is is one part of it. Like part of it's just like, no, that's bad and you shouldn't do it this way, and I I'm messing up. Part of it is just that like I don't have a visual thing to or, or like a website or a landing page or anything to share yet. As soon as we launch our landing page, all of those places will point at Tuple for sure. I take your point and I, I agree with it, I think, which is like I could still be sharing some things, like updates and teasing things and screenshots and even just a a pinned tweet or something to say hey it's ben this is what i'm working on right now and it's not ready yet but ironically again when you've built relationships with folks and you've people are kind of interested in what you're doing they will heart and retweet those sometimes because they're like oh look what ben's doing they just make great pinned tweets because then you can see oh this is what he's up to now yep Uh, yeah totally yeah this is is not ideal you're you're right to point it out I think that's a good advice actually for anybody is is to at least it's also good practice for saying you could say uh, it's it's like exactly the elevator pitch or the elevator question like, hey, Ben, what are you doing right now? Oh, well, you know how screen sharing is a real pain in the ass. Yeah. Uh, I mean, or pair programming over the web or whatever. And I'm actually literally like mining my brain for like, what the hell is tuple right now? I'm guessing I think it's screen sharing and and uh, pair programming pair programming is the right way to think about it yeah and so you know how that all sucks yeah that totally sucks well we're building a tool that makes it way better because of this and this and this well that makes a great pinned tweet whether you have 50 followers or a thousand or whatever that you're practicing telling your story i gotta get better at this too like i still uh, don't always have that even nailed myself like you know what does what makes transistor better well 
you know, I got, it's hard to articulate those things, but when you practice them, it becomes easier, I think. Yeah, I guess I, I've been holding back because I didn't have somewhere to send people where it's like, I'm working on a thing and you should uh, know about it. It's just a thing you should know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's like what I really want to, I've kind of been like saving some of that uh, ammunition, I guess, for like, and you should go here and sign up for updates, I guess. But maybe that's... I mean, something I you know, could like, do too is like the product, the product hunt ship page. That's what I did for a few weeks. Like, and I just set up a, it's actually up on GitHub, like level hq slash website and it's just a static site with an iframe so i put that on level.app for a little while and the nice thing about that is it it has a little bit of the social social proof built into it where if you're on signed into product hunt it shows who of your friends have also subscribed and you can import your existing list into there so every time someone would subscribe i'd sort of watch and see if there's a little bump in like others who maybe saw the saw it on product hunt and like also signed on and there didn't seem to be a lot of network effects happening for mine which is why i've i've transitioned off of that um to the longer form page but it at least got me by for a few weeks um yeah there's a few other tricks too one is you could take a clip of you describing in this podcast what tuple is and then you could say hey i'm working on something new check it out and it's just like a a sound clip on twitter you could do it the same with video. Here's a little clip of a video. You could, you know, record a phone conversation with your partners. And it's just like the anticipation, like building anticipation and leaving little teases and hints is a, a massively underrated uh, way to kind of build up to a launch. Just even saying, hey, I'm working on something, something new, something that I'll give you, I'll give you a little hint. It's in, it's for remote programmers or something. Okay, well, at least I know now. Again, people remember those things. So you're you're cluing them in like, "Oh, Ben's on a journey. I'm I'm going to go on that journey." I think most people need more of those than they think they do. Like some people might think Ben is still working full-time. Some people might think Derek's still at Drip. You need to kind of leave this breadcrumb trail for folks, especially if you've invested a lot in your relationships and profile. People need something to like follow. And you can do that without a landing page or a mailing list or anything. You can just say, hey, I'm working on something new. Here's a little. And Adam Wathen is absolutely the king of this. I was just going to say that. Mm-hmm. To, like, it, <laughs> like Adam is listening to this going, duh. He been kills you this. me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a good talker, but he is the best at just going, oh, like, this is interesting. I should just share this little thing. And uh, of course, people find it interesting, right? So Yeah. And then when you launch, it feels familiar. Like people are like, oh yeah, this is that thing he's been working on. I've been hearing about this. Oh, there you go. There's that that thing that he sh- showed us showed a screenshot of. Yeah, people need more time than you think they do. If all of a sudden I just you know woke up one day and said, hey, I launched a podcast hosting application, people are like, whoa, whoa. Uh, but if if I tell them you know three six months ahead, they're all immediately thinking, should I have a podcast? Do I need to host a podcast? Do I know people that are hosting a podcast? Do I, you know, what problems have I encountered with that? We're in a meeting and my boss wants us to start a podcast for a company. Oh yeah, Justin's starting that thing. It just gives them time to process it as opposed to just surprising them like, hey, surprise, I got something new. Uh, People need time to process things. So you get, when you give them that time, it's in your favor, right? Mm -hmm. All right, fine. I'll tweet about it. (laughs) Jesus. Even, this mastermind is brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm even thinking, like, because relationships are so powerful, I'm thinking right now, how would I use this thing? And immediately what I thought of is I am doing a little bit of Rails development because I just want to have some sort of something in the actual application development. And it took me, like, simple things, like setting up my environment and just clearing dependency problems I had to have someone sitting right next to me to to accomplish that. And uh, there was no easy way. You know, I have simple questions for John that if I could just, um, John's my partner in Chicago, if, if I could just jump on a thing with him and have him show me, it would be, you know, he could answer it right away. But there's no medium to do that. And so I'd be like, hmm, well, maybe I would use this for, you know, for that. You could open up your marketplace on Tuple for experts to uh, quickly jump on <laughs> yeah. and 
help you out. That, actually, that, that yeah, it's not a terrible idea. That's actually something we were kicking around today. Is like as a almost like a marketing activity. It's like I will pair with any comers, anyone who wants to join for twenty minutes on any sort of problem that I'm capable to, of doing. And to join me, just download Tuple and then join this thing. And it's like, okay, maybe I could get 10 people a day using the app that hasn't done it. And then like dog fooding the crap out of it myself. Yeah. That, there might be some interesting applications there for like, if you're doing an online workshop, programming workshop, can you have multiple people join or does it always have to be pairs? Can, we'll can you see. have, you know, like there's, yeah. there could be something there that, that's why you got to get it into real people's hands because all of a sudden it's like, we thought our customer was, you know, hardcore developers, but it turns out it's marketing jackasses like Justin that just want to you know, edit the view and rails, right? Like that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. You could be our, our least technical uh, alpha member. <laughs> I should, I should, I should, I should. How much, what's a year? What is it? How much is it for a year? I'll tell you off, offline. Okay. <laughs> This is how deals happen, folks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll chat about it. So yeah, uh, so that's that's what's up with me. <laughs> what's up with you, Justin? Uh, man, is this how long updates usually take? This is God, no, no, no. <laughs> this is usually how long a whole epi- uh, single episode takes. Listeners are like, what the? So I'm working on a new podcast hosting application called Transistor.fm with uh, my buddy John. We've been doing it. Well, we signed our partnership agreement in February or something, but we've been working on it since January, and he was working on it even before then. He had built like a MVP that our first customer, Cards Against Humanity, could use. So they've been hosting their podcast since December, I think. And uh, But we're both doing it part-time. So John works full-time for Cards, and I have a business I think actually he's in the better situation because it's so easy to work on Transistor. And my regular business is basically selling this course, marketing for developers, doing coaching calls, doing, you know, like that kind of stuff. And it's really easy to just want to do Transistor. So I think we're both struggling with that a bit. I mean, we keep launching new features every week. We're getting closer. We have about 70 early access customers. Wow. Paying customers? Paying customers, yeah. Nice. Uh, I think John wanted it to be 10, but I just keep inviting people. <laughs> uh, our current plan is that he's going to fly here to British Columbia, and we're going to launch officially in July. So we'll see if that happens. Uh, and actually, most recently, what we've been doing, we have a podcast called Build Your SaaS, we are always kind of like, okay, here's the topic. We're going to figure out pricing. And so in the midst of the conversation, we're like supposed to figure out what we're going to do. And we got into this pricing conversation. We're like, wow, this is a, we can't figure this out on air. Like we need to, we really need to chew on this. One thing we're trying to do, we're both in our late thirties. Probably everyone has this propensity, but there's this propensity to always want to make it seem like you have all the answers and that you're you know, I've been working with SaaS companies since 2008. Like, I should know this stuff. But we're really trying to bury our egos and reach out for help whenever we can. You know, I booked a call with Nathan Barry. I booked a call with Rob Walling. I booked a call with Patrick Campbell from Price Intelligently and just said... Please don't say Rob Walling's name on this podcast, by the way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a feud right now. Uh. <laughs> we're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> It's just going to be beeps. <laughs> uh, an unknown person, an unnamed person. <laughs> uh, sorry. Anyway, I booked, I booked some calls and uh, massively helpful because our initial ideas for pricing were dumb. Like they were just dumb. You know, I don't know what that saying is. You can't see the force for the trees or whatever. But when the trees are right in front of you, like you're in the forest and you just can't see, you're looking around and he just you're in the weeds, having someone else, and it can, sometimes they don't even need to have a lot of expertise, but someone else that can just look at your situation and go, well, there's a lot of other stuff I'm seeing that you're not seeing. To have a bunch of those conversations and basically every single person was aligned. They're all like, I would not price it that way. So we were going to price it based on number of shows because in the enterprise space, in the podcast enterprise space, that's what people do. 
because they're selling to radio stations and big podcast networks. But that's not our target market. Our target market is, we think, is businesses, specifically tech businesses that want a podcast. And so they're like, this is a bad way to price. Your value proposition doesn't scale with your main cost center, which is bandwidth. So Cards Against Humanities had 3.8 million downloads since they launched. It's like, are you guys losing money on them? And we're like, well, we don't know. We might be. They're like, well, you should definitely make your pricing. If you can, it's better to have your main value proposition relate to your main cost center and have expansion revenue kind of go with that, right? What they were suggesting is downloads, number of downloads. The more downloads you get, the more you get charged. It's also theoretically the main thing people want. Like when we do interviews with customers, they're like, we're like, what's the number one thing you want? More listeners. That's what they want. That's what we're working on right now. Getting closer to, to that, figuring out, you know, what we're going to charge initially. That's kind of like the last piece it feels like. We have lots more product stuff we want to build, but that, that's the piece we want to have in place so that we can launch in July. Well, you know, the rules are that once you pick a price, you can never change it. <laughs> so make sure you get it perfect. <laughs> exactly. Well, we, and that's the other thing. We know that we can, we can change it. The interesting thing about doing the transparency, though, so we published these, these three episodes on pricing. And we have customers that are listening to this and they reach out and they're like, they're like, I love the idea of charging because we introduced the early access based on shows. So they're, they're like, they know that they have to pay for more shows. But we had a customer say, I love the idea of downloads because I want to launch more shows, but we don't want to make it prohibitive for people to be more creative with our platform. But, you know, when you're thinking like, oh, do I really want to add another show? That's just an experiment. Nah, it's going to cost me more money. But if we can say you get this many downloads and you can start as many shows as you want, then people can exercise some creativity. And so our customers are responding and saying, when can I switch to that plan? Because that plan is very, that's what I want. So that's, that's exciting to have that kind of feedback from folks. Yeah. I've also been thinking a lot about, I, I called it activation. Because actually, and while you're talking, Ben, this, this triggered something in me, which is you, you've been able to get people to pay for something that doesn't exist which is an incredible thing. Like that's, uh, and Derek, you've been able to get someone to sign up for something that doesn't exist, which is incredible. It, it shows that, you know, you've invested all those things that we talked about, like you've invested in community. You've clearly, you've got a, a hook that is hooking people. And I think all of that stuff's incredible. What I've been thinking about lately though, is what comes after that, which is sure, I can get people to sign up. I can even get people to pay for this. But can I get people to use it and keep using it? My friend owns a skateboard shop here in Vernon, and we were talking, and he was talking about, you know, how some of his customers will just come in, buy a board, and put it on their wall, like it's an art piece. And those are actually not very good customers for him, because sure, they bought, they paid him, but they're never going to buy more equipment. They're never going to buy, you know, they're never going to break a board and need to come back. They're just, they're one-time customers and that's done. And then as we were talking, we saw these two girls skateboard by the shop. And he's like, oh, those are the two girls that bought boards for the first time last week. So they've been activated. They are, they bought the boards and now they're out skateboarding. That's a very good sign for him because it means that there'll be future revenue. And I think that's one thing that worries me that keeps me up at night a little bit is I'm sure for all of our apps, like every app needs usage, but specifically in podcasting, if people are not creating shows and they're not uploading episodes, that is going to be very bad for our business long term. And so activation and usage is something that's on my mind. In the ebook course space, we get a lot of people who do not activate. They just buy and we're happy to take their money. <laughs> but in the long term, it's very difficult to build a business off those folks uh, because if they never use it, they never get success. If they never get success, they don't tell people about it. If they don't, you know, they never want to upgrade. They never want to get to the next step. Because I've been in the ebook course space for the past two years, 
I'm really thinking, man, I need, it's not enough to take people's money. I really need something that is I can invest in and that naturally expands as people use it. There's, there's this activation and usage that leads to further revenue as opposed to me investing in this thing that, sure, I got people's money, but then I'm done. Um, Derek, do you want to take this one or should I? I so I've got some <laughs> thoughts, but then you can go. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so like... So you're building a service, right? And the service is software. You're hosting podcasts. But uh, something that's really kind of interesting about Stripe's strategy is that, you know, they've, they're launching Atlas to help you start companies. And they're doing that because they want to make it the on-ramp easier for people to build businesses, which will then in turn turn into, you know, revenue that is built through Stripe. They're investing in this other thing that ends up this virtuous cycle of revenue back into their company. So for you, it'd be, you know, perhaps something like, like, what can you do as a company to help encourage people to continue creating? I don't even know what this is, if it's education, or if there's some software that some technical component that helps with that. Feel free to interject, Ben. I'm I'm going even one one level further which is you're building a podcast host, but no one wants a podcast host. They want a podcast and they want downloads. And they've already told you that. They want a bunch of downloads. I feel like you need to talk to Brian Castle and talk to him about his done for you. We make a podcast for you for your business service. And like, I don't know if that's a business you want to run, but like that to me is the ultimate answer. It's like, oh, they didn't actually start making episodes. Like, well, damn it. We have a plan. It costs a lot, but we make episodes. We make sure you make episodes. Yeah. We've already done experiments with that, with do we want to be in the done for you? Yeah, I think there is something there for sure. I think there's also opportunities in software, but it's it's likely we're going to have to partner with folks like Castle. Uh, my friend Adam Clark has a new company called Podcast Royale that does this, and he's already he's already referring customers to us. So we can see, okay, wow, this is one way to do it, right? And I think there's also, I haven't I haven't quite figured this out, but I had one founder reach out to me and say, I've always wanted a podcast, but I want a co-host in the beginning. Like, I want you, Justin, to be my co-host so that I can experiment with this and have some confidence and all the... So there is... Those pieces are there for sure. Yeah. Uh, although it, it also... It still makes me worried <laughs> because, you know, like, uh, it's hard making a podcast. It's hard doing it every week. And the nice thing about downloads, though, that is encouraging is one problem in the podcast hosting industry is dead shows or uh, shows that are not being updated anymore. Because I can see now all of our new early access users, how many downloads they get. And I've transferred my shows. So Product People, which is a show I update occasionally, is one of the shows I imported. Well, it's, it goes like Cards Against Humanity and then Product People is number two. It's a show that's not updated very often, but still gets lots of downloads. And so there's benefit there. I'm still getting the benefit from those shows. And so this idea that folks, instead of thinking, I only get benefit from this if I'm uploading new shows, instead, they're thinking, I invest in this, and maybe I do a season, and I still get the benefit for a long, long time. If it's, you know, like Seth Godin's Startup School, if you ever search startup, it's like super old, never updated. It's still like number one on iTunes. Um, that's still, it's like an asset that just sits there. And that makes me feel a little bit better that if we can just get people to make seven shows and they're getting enough benefit from that, then, you know, they might keep paying for a long time. It's like, we've invested in this asset. It's still giving us a return. Yeah. And I think like as much you can build into the product that demonstrates that people are still getting value out of the content they've produced, the better you're going to be. So with Drip, it was always like, how can we put dollar signs everywhere in the app to show you like this campaign is earning you this much money or this activity is causing this conversion to happen at this stage in your funnel? Because, you know, the more attribution we could do, the more insights we could offer, you know, on like ways to improve or ways to get more uh, more people listening, more downloads, uh, more reach. And I think there's probably some opportunities you could do with like mining data that you have, figuring out like, hey, this was your most popular episode and you talked about this and it was this length or this format, like try doing more of that. Uh, I don't know, like. Yeah, that's a good idea. The other thing we're, we're looking at is we're, we're both opposed. So in talking about values, we're both opposed to uh, dynamically inserted ads 
we'll see if we'll see if our, our minds change. Maybe dollar bills will change our minds. But right now, that's what we value. We value like kind of a pure form of podcasting. But one thing that could make sense is giving people the ability to automatically prepend or append audio and doing it on past episodes. I don't know if I'm allowed to tell this story, but Nathan told me about somebody <laughs> that has a very high profile podcast and was doing a big launch and they hired somebody to go through his entire back catalog of podcasts and just put in audio at the beginning and then re-upload it So because they were doing this big launch. And then after the launch, they had to go back and delete all of that stuff. If we can build a system that can do that automatically for folks. Um, another thing Adam Wadden wants is a, a placeholder in the show notes that can, that can be just swapped out really easy. So he can just go and update one placeholder and then it just updates the, across all of his show notes. That idea plus in the audio itself, basically putting a value on your back catalog of a podcast and saying, like Derek said, like if there's one episode that's like killing it, hey, why don't you append some audio before this and, you know, mention your new thing? Um, so, yeah, we're, we're thinking about some of that stuff, too. I understand your fears, though. Like it's so I, I started a tiny little podcast hosting thing one time. And the thing I found with it was that it was totally an aspirational thing for a lot of people. And it was like, you've always wanted to start a podcast, right? And they're like, heck yeah. And so I'm like, all right, we're going to do it. And then we would. And they would record like one episode and they'd be like, yeah, that's enough for me. And these weren't, these weren't businesses. These were like, you know, casual people for sure. But it, was, it wasn't like they're like, God, I need a podcast. They didn't wake up every morning thinking like, where's my podcast? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they want the thing. It, it's just like anything. So I just signed up for Write Message. I had kind of a joke on Twitter, like how long it took Brennan to get me as a customer. It took him a long time. Like he, he asked me, I've got like in this one Slack group I'm in, there's like 20 messages from Brennan, like, hey, do you want to sign up? And I'm going to do it for my Mega Maker business, so books and courses. But I got in there once and, you know, fiddled around with a few things and I haven't been back. And now the clock is ticking because that initial inspiration is dying and now it's been a week so now i'm starting to think fuck i paid 99 bucks for this like uh like i'm starting to get that feeling that you get when you haven't used something and it shows like if i can get some activation if i can get and brennan if you're listening this would be a good time to reach out and just set up my account for me uh <laughs> But, you know, like, that's a great product. He's got, but I just ran into a few things. There was a few things I couldn't do. And I'm like, ah, whatever. I just, I'm done, right? It's like that for a lot of products. You can't, uh, I mean, this is the death of project management apps is you're already using one and someone says, hey, do you want to check out mine? You're like, ah, sure. And you check it out. You're like, okay. But until you really activate, until you get some sort of like, yeah, you put something in and then you get something out. If that doesn't happen pretty quick, then it's just on the back of your mind like, okay, I'm not going to cancel right away because Brennan's my friend. But <laughs> if three months go by and I haven't used this thing, I'm going to cancel. All products have that, that problem. And even going back to the skateboard thing, like you might buy a skateboard thinking, yes, I'm actually going to go and learn to skateboard. But it sits in your room for two weeks and then, you know, clothes get put on, on it and then the more it sits there, the more you get guilty about it, the more it, it feels like a weight on you. And then you're like, ah, forget it. I'm never going to learn how. I'm just going to give this to my little brother. There's a really good talk at MicroConf that Justin Mayers did. And at one point he mentioned kind of offhandedly, we, uh, we did the math and we realized that customer success people caused such an increase in our activation rates and the expansion revenue that they paid for themselves, that hiring additional customer success people was profitable. And so we, once we realized that, we just started going nuts on that. And, it's, and I'm, I'm sitting here thinking that for like, maybe they have one at right message, I don't know. But like, if someone had like been keeping tabs on you and saying, hey, Justin is not actually activated, like I'm going to like reach out to him and maybe do some work for free if I need to, to get him over that hump. Yeah. And it I think the challenge is it takes more than automated messages. Like totally, I'm, right. I'm so used to getting automated messages like, hey, it looks like you haven't set up your thing. And then do you want to reach out? Absolutely, like, doesn't work. No, I don't want to do that. I just, I want, 
Uh, this reminds me of like the first SaaS company I worked for was an email newsletter company. I got started on customer support. And one of the things I realized was if I watched new accounts sign up and I would just go into their account, set up their template with their logo and stuff from their website, and then they would go into their account and it would be magically their newsletter template would have all the stuff from their website. And people loved it. Like, and exactly that thing. Whenever I did that with an account, they were like way more likely that they would sign up for a paid plan and stick around. And so I could see that like customer support people like reaching out and just going, again, it's almost like you got to be a bit ballsy, like reach out to me on Twitter DMs or, or something and say, hey, like, can I help you get this thing set up? The, the automated approach, I don't know. I, I, maybe it works for other people, but I'm just getting, I, I'm so used to those, you know, pop-up intercom things and it's, it doesn't feel real. But if there's a real human being like, hey, we just want to help you out and get you started, I'd be like, okay, like, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, maybe it doesn't scale or I don't know. But. but that's the thing about Justin Maris is like, that. it wasn't just like, hey, we're doing a thing that doesn't scale because we have to. It was like, actually, this makes money. Yeah. And, and for them, you could see like once people get it installed and it starts like generating revenue, man, like I'm in, you know, and it's kind of again, like I don't know why more consultants don't do this is I get pitched all the time about stuff I do not care about at all. But if someone noticed something like like where I'm clearly getting stuck and reached out to me and said, hey, like, this is what I do for a living. I just get people unstuck from this thing. Do you want to pay me? I'd be like, yes, like, I will pay you for that right now. Because I'm, you know, that's something that, uh, that is very applicable at this point in my life. Uh, it feels like people, they're, they're not good at recognizing those things where people are getting stuck or they don't care or I don't know. And so many, uh, so many of us want to build automated software companies where we, I, where we ideally don't have to talk to a single human being. But like the the truly successful SaaS companies, I think, are the ones that, when it makes sense to, are proactively doing as much for their customer as possible and really emphasizing that service component. Um, such yeah. a powerful thing. Did you did was that your experience at Drip too? Yeah. Like, is that something you leveraged? Yeah, early on we had our we called it our concierge service, and um, we would build an email course for you. So like we we sort of strategize like what's the minimum path to awesome to getting value out of the product. And uh, early early days when we were mostly centered around just like basic email follow up campaigns, we would uh, we would do those for free for you uh, based on I think we would take your some existing content off your blog and put together. An email course for you and then uh, for a while i think we even did uh some of the like fully done for you evergreen like give us some ideas and we'll go off and write a, a five-part email course i think we did that for free for a while and then we started offering it for five hundred dollars maybe but yeah that stuff was huge in the early days and the services component is still a, a big thing at least account migrations and now it's like you know drip is a much more complicated product but i think there's still like um a big service component that we have yeah, there's there's automated ways to do some of this, you know, having a, a template built in that has prompts and things is one way to to do this with software. But there's no there's no replacement for a real human being going in and seeing where you really got stuck. Like it's not just a mixed panel trigger that says, oh, man, they got stuck at this part of the funnel, like a real human being going, oh, man, what's going on with this particular person in their their context and saying, man, I can fix that right now. I do this all the time. Like super easy. What's super easy for you is probably really hard for some of these customers. And the times where people have done that for me, I remember it forever. And I'm just way more likely to stick around. Build so much goodwill too. Yeah. What do you think you could, how could you use that though, Ben, with Tuple? I was thinking that as you were talking. Uh, so one thing I've, I've thought about coming at it from a slightly different angle, which is not quite activation, but more like building the next generation of pair programmers, because there's some people that feel like they should be pairing, but they don't feel like they would be good at it or they're intimidated or they have concerns. And so one thing I strongly suspect that we will be building either as like a low cost product or for free is some sort of pairing course or book or something. Actually, I think that's a that's a good... That's another good hook for sure. There's certain things that always bubble to the surface 
and pair programming is one of them. It's like, uh, like it's either uh, a senior person is thinking, how can I, like, I should be doing this more. I should be better at it. I'm not very good at it. Or a junior person feeling like, how do I do this more? Or I, I don't know. There's always some anxieties around it. It's also an angle that I think we will probably use to sell to the people I think are our, our ideal customers, like engineering managers, where it's like, you know your team should be pairing. Does your team pair enough? Are you happy with the amount of pairings happening? Eh, well, not exactly. Okay, well, we have this workshop where we'll spend a day with your people and we will go over good technique and watch examples of people pairing or whatever it takes. And oh, hey, it comes with six months of tuple or whatever, something like that. Well, it'll also, I mean, that's perfect because then right in the course, you're using tuple and showing like, here's the product I use. It's called tuple. I, you know, I, I own it. But, you guys have but, access to this just so you know, you'll get the invite yeah, at the end of the course or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super powerful. And then like you it. can, you can charge for that. Like that's, that's, all, that's like a, you know, that's like an enterprise thousands of dollars kind of product. Yeah. So suddenly an extra grand for tuple for four people or whatever it is, is like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's just part of it. I think. I think you can use automated prompts. I just think I, automated prompts are uh, easy to do poorly. But if you really have some good logic, like, hey, Ben, it looks like you haven't paired with Janet in three weeks. If that's an appropriate notification to send somebody and it's actually helpful, like people are getting those and going, oh, yeah, like, thank you so much. I ugh, I got I to gotta remember to do that more often than... At least, you know, that could work well, but I've just never, I don't know, with all this talk about AI and all that, I've never seen like great automated notifications where I'm like, yes, you got me right in time. Like, sure. Thanks for sending yeah. that over. My guess also is that programmer types, like technical types, people that have experience with automation of that sort will be particularly unaffected by it. Where it's like, when I get those emails, I always know what it is. Like, I can just, I can see the uh, conditionals behind the scenes that's like sending this e me this email. So this is where being, having a profile and having, you know, a following could be helpful. Because if you're talking about pair programming all the time, that becomes the trigger, right? So it's like, you're, I'm on Twitter and I'm a tuple customer. And all of a sudden Ben's talking about pair programming. It's like, oh yeah, I, I need to do that more. Or I should, you know, or even just a human being like, um, you know, if you tweeted like, when was the last time you paired with the most junior person of your team? And then you're like, whoa, oh yeah, when was the last time? It, that's different than an automated message. And maybe that's your key is just... For sure. You know, like that. Again, Adam Wathen is always getting people to think about testing and refactoring because he's talking about it all the time. Like, I don't give a... Can I swear on this program? <laughs> I don't care at all about uh, uh, refactoring. Like, I don't... But I'm thinking about it all the time because Adam's tweeting it all the time. Yeah, it's, it's providing... I mean, as corny as it sounds, it's being a thought leader in the thing that's tangential to the technology you're building or the business you're building, right? Yep. And that's totally where, where you want to be. Where it's like, when I made a refactoring course for Rails apps, it was like, yeah, that makes sense. A lot of people think of me as the refactoring guy. And so, like, I have to now become the pairing guy. Yeah. That's yeah. the next phase. Yeah. And as soon as you can, like, it, it would be okay for you to do some pairing right now with bad tools and, and for folks to go, oh, yeah, this is the thing. Uh, or even just privately or, like, announcing on Twitter, like, hey, I'll, I've got time today to do some pairing if anyone wants to pair and... Totally. Yeah. Totally. I like it. Well, we didn't get to some of the things we said we would, but we've been going for a while. So I think I'm going to have to call it. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> as, a, as an aside, um, I just texted you this, Ben, too, on, on the sly. But I was like, maybe we split this recording into a two-parter and just do like a... We could just like cut it in the middle and be like, come back for the second part. I don't know. We're, we're over an that's hour. That's interesting. So. Yeah. Uh... I don't have any strong feelings about it. I'm leaning, I lean slightly towards just release it because, you know, I don't know, people... Whenever I hear a really good podcast and the conversation is really good and then someone's like, well, we should really wrap up because we're out of time. I'm like, no, I'm like, it's good. Don't, <laughs> don't stop. <laughs> Keep yeah. doing the good. And who cares how long it normally is? That's true. No, then this was a good one. This is good. Yeah. yeah. I felt like we were solid. Like we went longer than usual, but the conversation was awesome. So I was just like, let's just keep rolling. Yeah. By the way, that's a that is a feature I want in every podcatcher is for it to record when people audibly say something, like a listener says something, like "Hey, wait, no, no, stop, no, keep going," or <laughs> or like they want to interject and like give their opinion. 
that I think because people do that all the time. They yell at their podcatchers, right? Like, hey, no, don't do that or whatever. Um, so if so, you want to install it, a listening device? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's got it has a few problems, but. One thing for anyone listening right now, like if there's been moments where you've had those, like you've wanted to interject in our conversation, I want to hear it. Like I want you to get us on Twitter or something. I, that's so interesting to hear when people, uh, there's something that motivated them so much. Like I've got to get in this conversation. Yeah. That does happen occasionally too. It happened this morning. We talked about Vim tooling last time and I uh, got a, a random tweet from a listener that's like, you should check out this plugin. <laughs> like, oh, nice. Totally without any yeah, context, but like, I know what he's talking about because I know he listened to the podcast today. Nice. I think that, that's a given. If you talk about Vim in a podcast, you're going to get some. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Diehard fans. Yeah. Uh, speaking of asking for things, I just, I'm going to repeat that. If you are a, an engineering manager of some type and you have a team of, let's say at least three people, probably less than 20, uh, and you are interested in getting the tuple alpha, please do reach out to me. Uh, you can email Ben at benorenstein.com or DM me or whatever works for you, but definitely interested in that. And if you want to reserve your handle on level, go to level.app and uh, grab it before someone takes your name. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you want to yell out at me on the internet, get me on Twitter, M-I, Justin. <laughs> what about That's Transistor? My... Uh, you can sign up for Transistor too, transistor.fm if you want to start a podcast or if you have one already and you want to switch. We're, we're not doing any early access anymore, but we're, we'll, we'll be launching in July. There's a waiting list there. Justin promises that he will make a podcast for you if you sign yeah. up. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> yeah. <I'll... laughs> Cool. Can, I'll be your wing, your wingman. Perfect. And uh, show notes, Mr. Derek? Yeah, show notes at artofproductpodcast.com. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Cool. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.